Well, good morning. It's great to be with you guys. And I, I just want to thank again the worship team. That was just, I don't know where you all are, but wherever you are, thank you. That's a, just a great blessing. Great blessing. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 32, Lord willing, in our time together this morning. That's Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32. Tim had asked me to bring a, a message on this particular topic, so that's, that's why we've chosen this particular text. So let's go ahead and look to the Lord in prayer again before we look into his word. I don't think I have to tell you that uh, things in the world are messed up. We could all come up with many, many examples of that. And, and it's all intensified with the whole economic situation we find ourselves in. It's interesting. It's interesting to watch how people respond to the difficulties around us. If you're Nietzsche, and he saw that just the destruction of the world as he knew it, he came up with a philosophy of despair that rejected anything about God and basically came to the point in his life where he had said that about the only thing you can control in life is your own death and talked about issues related to suicide. Which Hemingway picked up on, if you remember, and ended up killing himself. I suppose that's one way to try to handle the pain of the world, but not one that I'm terribly interested in. You see, in, in, in some of the, the singing and the, the songs of our day, I was uh, thinking about some of the songs that came out of the 60s and 70s and 80s. And, and, and what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And that's true. But where in the world do you find it? Well, John Lennon had an answer. Can I read a familiar song of his? One that we would all take issue with, but nonetheless. Listen, listen to a man grappling with the world in which we live. His, re his response was, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. Instead, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the world sharing all the world. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be one. Is that true? Can you, can you change the world around us? By us trying to get together without God. No way, folks. It's impossible, isn't it? The Bible, the Bible has a very different solution, doesn't it? The Bible doesn't say, let's renew the old humanity. You know what the Bible says? Let's create a brand new one. And that's exactly what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. You can't renew the old. The old humanity in Adam will just function like it's always functioned. 
You need to create something new in Jesus Christ. Look at what Ephesians 4, 17 says. And where I want to really camp out in our time together this morning is in verses 25 and following. But to get there, we need to see the momentum of verses 17 to 24. Listen to what it says. And there's one spot, sometimes in your translations, they're translated a variety of different ways. I'm going to offer you a translation that I would argue is most consistent with the text. The Bible says this in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old... Oh, whoa. Almost lost it all. That you lay aside the old... I haven't ever done that one before. Drop the thing down before me. But I've done most everything else, so that would be another one to add. Okay. That you lay aside the old... It should be the old humanity, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of de de deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new humanity, sometimes translated the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That expression, the new man, is used one time earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians 2.15. Remember there it says, there's no longer Jew and Gentile, but instead I want to make you one new man. Remember that passage? It's the same thing here. Paul is coming on the scene and he's saying, you know what? You look at the world around us, it's filled with all kinds of things we don't like. Greed and self-centeredness and impurity and mockery and just on and on and on. And he's saying, Jesus has come on the scene and he's made you a brand new humanity. And he's changed you from the inside out. And when you have been, when you've learned of him, when you've been discipled by him, you realize that that's not the way he wants you to live. He wants your minds renewed from the inside out. So that you might live in a way that's totally different than that. You know what our world desperately needs? Our world desperately needs to see the way God always intended humanity to live from the beginning. Don't they? And the only ones that can do that, folks, are believers in Jesus Christ. Not because we're perfect people, because we aren't. But we're people on a journey with Christ. We're on a brand new course He's transforming us by his spirit from the inside out. And we should be a foretaste of what the world so desperately needs to see. John Lennon's approach gets the world nowhere. I want you to notice something in this text that I find to be really interesting. When, when the Bible talks about the heart, which it does here in verse 18, 
And, and, and again, a little bit later here in, in, in verse, uh, uh, let's see, uh, verse 22. It's interesting because we always talk about God wants to. I was watching the uh, the video here, which I thought was great. This is a parenting seminar that's coming up. That I love that the idea of getting to the heart of the matter. That's really really good. What does it mean that God wants to transform us from the inside out, from our hearts, though? I don't I, I, know. Sometimes when I hear that, I think to myself, I, I, I know I believe it because the Bible says it, but like in practical terms, what does that mean? Notice how the heart is described in this text. In verse 18, two things surface. Bible talks about that old life because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. And again, look down if you would at verse 22. What a fascinating passage here where it talks about putting off that old man in, in, in accordance with the lusts of deceit. You know what elements are combined in both of those verses about the heart? When the Bible talks about the heart again and again, it talks about the heart as a place where we believe either the right thing or the wrong thing, or a place where we want either the right thing or the wrong thing. And when I believe something that is wrong, the Bible says I'm believing a lie. And when I want something I should not want or I, I want it too much, the Bible calls it a lust. Do you see? And that's why in verse 22, he can combine both of those and says, the problem with the world around us is it's the lust, they want the wrong thing, of deceit, they believe the wrong thing. Do you see? And they're both combined in the heart. You know where I struggle on a daily basis? It's in what I, what I believe and what I want. When our kids were really young, we tried to help them wrestle through this idea of self-centeredness. I, I mean, I never came up to one of my children when they were a preschooler and said, son, you are depraved. <laughs> yeah. You know, what would a four-year-old say? Well, yeah, well, depraved. You know, what do they do with that? But what we said to them again and again when they were preschoolers is, you know what your problem is? You have a problem with the I onesies. I mean, God wants this for your life. Mommy and daddy want this. But you want what you want. To this day, Doug Finkbeiner has a problem with the I onesies. Don't you? I just, I want that. And I want it now. And I don't care who it hurts if I can get it. That's the world, isn't it? And God wants us to be changed from the inside out so that we say at the very core of our heart, what I want is the true and living God. I want him on the throne of my life. Whatever that means, it's okay. That's not easy though, is it? I've often thought with this whole thing about lust and desires. What it often comes down to is not necessarily that I want the wrong thing. That's often the case. It may be that I want a good thing too much. I mean, um, is it wrong to want to be loved or respected? No, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean you, what are you, a masochist? Of course, no, no, it's not wrong. No, I want to be loved. No, 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 we'd be masochists if we felt like that. No, nothing wrong with that. But what happens when I want to be loved or respected more than anything else in the world? 
Do you see? Then, if you don't worship at Doug Finkbeiner's shrine, which is the shrine of respect me, I'm going to mete out judgment upon you just like the way God does. Do you see? You say, well, that sounds awful. I know, but that's what I do on a consistent basis. If I'm not, you know, if I'm not letting God's spirit work in my life, that's what I do. People say, shift into neutral. If I shift into neutral, it's not good. Because I work my side of the street. That's the way it works. And this text is all about God saying, you know what? What have you learned about Christ? You've learned that Christ is about saying he wants to be Lord of your life. And you can rest in that grace. You can trust him. You can let him rule. And you can believe the right thing. And you can want the right thing. And that, God says, is what I want to do with my new humanity. Because when you've got a bunch of people that want the right thing and believe the right kinds of things, it stands in stark contrast to the world around us. Do you see? Now, it's easy to say. It's much harder to practice. Fair enough. But that's what the text is all about. I was um, talking with, uh, with a new believer uh, who I'm meeting with. And we, we were getting together... Uh, we get together once a week, and he was sharing with me this past week. He's, uh, he's involved in, in the political, uh, uh, local politics. And he's one of the individuals that gets together, and they vote for the local supervisor and, and all the stuff that they do, and they put them up for, for that particular um, party. And he was saying, you know, Doug, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I, I don't know if you, I've not been involved much in local politics like that, but he says... You've got all these volunteers, they come together, and we're supposed to be coming together for the same cause, you know, this particular political party. But everybody wants what they want, and they all put up different candidates, and then we vote, and people that don't get their candidates get upset, and they walk out, or they yell, and they scream, and you're thinking, I'm doing this as a volunteer. I mean, like, you know, I don't need this. I don't get paid by these people. And he says, if that's the way people that are supposed to be united function, we got a major problem. You know, as he's talking, I'm thinking to myself, I certainly hope he doesn't ever say that about our church. <laughs> but it can happen too, can it? Do you agree with everything that is decided here at the chapel? You, you couldn't and be breathing. But you can't allow that to keep you as a group from being united and moving together for a common cause. There's bigger things than my particular decision. If I thought in my own marriage, if, if my wife had agreed with every decision that was made in our home when, when her and I disagree, she would have left me years ago. <laughs> but she hasn't allowed that to keep us from staying close and moving together as a team to accomplish a purpose. That's the way the church needs to be, folks. A new humanity who can work through things together and show to the world out there the way it's supposed to be. Well, in practical terms, what might that look like? And with that, we pick up in verse 25. Verses 25 to 32 talks about how we should be relating as this new humanity. And, and do me a favor as, as we work through this. Ask yourself, kind of grade yourself. But it's your own self-imposed grade. You don't have to show it to anybody. And ask yourself with each one that we look at, how you doing there? 
Okay? The first one comes out in verses uh, 25, uh, in verse 25. And, and the, the other thing I find to be really interesting about the, this passage, this passage never loses its God orientation. It runs all the way through. Notice, verse 25 of chapter 4. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor. Why? Here's the reason. For we are members of one another. Did you ever play on a, uh, a ball team that becomes disunited? I mean, from an outsider's perspective, it's a comedy of errors. It's fun to watch. But when you're part of that team, it's not so good. <laughs> and, and he says, you know what? You guys are one unit. You're not just any old unit, though. You're the body of Christ. You've been brought together in as the body of Christ. You are absolutely unique. And one of the things I want you guys to do is I want you to speak the truth to one another. I want you to be truth tellers. And, and later, earlier in the passage, be truth tellers out of a spirit of love. So lovingly speak the truth. What keeps us from speaking the truth to one another? A lot of different things, doesn't it? Sometimes I know if I come up and speak the truth to you, you might get mad at me. And it's easier for me to skate along superficially and just reject and neglect the whole thing. You know what I mean? It, it's easy to do that. So speaking the truth. Um, and this text says if, the, if, the, if we are going to go on, it can't be based on falsehood. It can't be based on neglect. It's got to be totally honest and upfront in our relationships. Um, sometimes in marriages, experts call it a double bind. The woman's upset. Man comes up and says, honey, is anything a matter? No. What do you do with that? <laughs> what a lot of guys do is say, oh, fine, thanks, and they walk away. <laughs> and then as he's walking away, she says, where are you going? Well, you said no, nothing. I, I'm leaving. I thought it was okay. You're so insensitive. You know, poor guy doesn't know what to do. And if he stays there and says, no, honey, can we talk about it? I said nothing's the matter. He doesn't know what to do. He's stuck. Our marriages, the body of Christ can't function that way. This doesn't work. Double binds don't work. God wants us to say, God is important. It's his body. People are important. So I'm willing to step out and take a risk and speak the truth. Not because it's easy. N not to act like I'm better than anybody else. But just allow the truth to be the truth in our relationships. Not always easy. Here's another test. Oh, um, one other thing I did want to read here. This, this woman's struggle, struggle, as you can see, struggled a little bit with this whole idea of being truthful. Story says a woman occupy, accompanied her husband to the doctor's office. After his checkup, the doctor called the wife into his office alone. He said to the wife, your husband is suffering from a very severe case of stress disorder. If you don't follow my instructions carefully, your husband will certainly pass away. Each morning, fix him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant at all times. For lunch, make him a nutritious meal. For dinner, prepare an especially nice meal just for him. Don't burden him with any chores. 
Don't discuss your problems with him. It'll only make him more stressful. And whatever you do, don't ever nag him again. Give him whatever he wants whenever he wants it. The woman left the doctor's office. On the way home, the husband asked his wife, what did the doctor say? He said, you're going to die. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here. Okay. <laughs> you know. No, no, no. The body of, body of Christ needs to be lovingly truthful in the way that we react and respond to one another. Look at verse 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sin go down. I'm sorry, the sin. That, that's an interesting, that's, that's not in there. Okay. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. It's a fascinating passage. He doesn't say don't ever be angry, does he? It's, it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky one. Because I was telling the Sunday school class, I don't know about you, but um, anger, it's kind of like fire. It can be very helpful, but it can very quickly burn and destroy. Can it? And, and this particular text doesn't say don't have any anger, but just make sure that your anger, that you express yourself in a way that's both controlled and where you stay current. And that, that's the point. So it doesn't mean, hey, I'm feeling a certain way. I shouldn't tell anybody the way I'm feeling. I should just cut. No, no, no. No, express yourself, but, but in your expression, be constructive and controlled. And I have to tell you with anger, that for me, that's almost impossible sometimes. You know, you gotta, you gotta watch those decibels, right? I mean, call your children. Come on, kids, come on up. It's time to eat. They don't come. Get up here. <laughs> you know, decibels are rising. And what's the next statement going to be? It could all of a sudden begin to impugn them as individuals, right? I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, you got to really, really be careful. So he says, express yourself, but do it in a way that is controlled and stay current. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Um, I've counseled a lot of couples through the years. And... Um, Sometimes they'll come in and they'll talk, married 10, 15, 20 years, and, and they'll sit down and I'll say, so what was the inciting incident? Like, what kind of brought you here today? And, and he or she will share some incident, and you'll say, like, that's, that's nothing. <laughs> we have that every day. <laughs> like, what's that? But you know why it is often? For all their life, they've been gunny sacking. You know what I mean by that? You know those old gunny sacks? I don't like what my husband is doing. I don't share, or my wife, and I don't share it with them. I just kind of clam up and I stick it in the gunny sack. And something else happens a little bit later. I put that in the gunny sack. And what happens when you fill up a gunny sack? Eventually, it's going to burst. It's going to overflow. So what happens is one little incident comes along. He or she says something, and the other person goes ballistic. Why? Because they have, been, they have not kept current with things. They've allowed it to build, and they've clammed up and clammed up. And then what typically happens is, at some point, they just blow up on people. And, and this text is saying, look, don't submerge the way you're feeling. Be open and honest, e even, even if there's anger. But just make sure when you express that anger, it is fully 
self-controlled. It's constructive. It's not damaging to the other person. And you know what? If you're having those feelings, don't keep gunny sacking. You've got to make, stay current on it. And you know what happens. It's like opening up an old wound. When you open up that wound, it seems worse before it can get better. Isn't that true? But if there's ever going to be healing, sometimes you have to do that. So this is Texas saying, in the body of Christ, we're going to rub each other the wrong way sometimes. It's life. Sometimes you're going to just burn me up, and I'm going to burn you up. It's just, it's the way it works. So what do you do with that? Do you gunny sack? Or do you come and you say, you know, I don't mean to be demeaning or anything else, but you know, when you did that, it made me feel like this. And frankly, it made me very upset. And I, I want you to know how I'm feeling. Because I want to deal with this. Because the last thing we need in the body of Christ is to harbor bad feelings and be at distance from one another. And this text says, that's how the new humanity is supposed to work. The old humanity doesn't do that. The old humanity gunny sacks, suppresses, puts it in. And when it does express itself, it tells you where to get off. I mean, it's, it's cruel and mean and uncontrolled. The new humanity is all about control and all about staying current. Isn't it interesting that he goes on to make this statement in verse 27, don't give the devil an opportunity? I don't know how many people are in here today. Look, what, 120, 30, 40? I don't know. It's a good size. This is, I just, we are just thrilled when we come up here and we see everybody sitting right. I see John's way in there in the back. I think this is great stuff. I mean, this is God at work, isn't it? But I know something. If God is at work here, so is the devil. That's just the way it works. When he sees a good show in town, he goes after it. And you know what he loves to do? He loves to take a group of individuals who are trying to be the new humanity. And, 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 and they're, they're speaking the truth. He likes to try to slip up beside you and say, doesn't he annoy you? Isn't she a pain? <laughs> and they call themselves a Christian? You ought to talk to somebody else about that. Or stay away from them. And you start buying into that line. And what happens to the body of Christ is people become farther and farther distant from one another. And you come in and when you see something, you wave and you smile and you think to yourself, I hope I don't see them anymore after that. It's easy to do, isn't it? Am I right, folks? In, in all of our relationships, that's very easy to do. And this text says, look, you're a new humanity. Work it through. Be open. Be honest. Say how you feel carefully, of course, of course. But deal with it. Don't wait. What else? Look at verse uh, 28. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather, let him labor performing with his hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has a need. Says, you know, folks, I, I don't have to tell you. When you look around at some of the things that have happened with corporations, CEOs, and all those kinds of things, wouldn't you say there's a level of greed in our culture? A little bit. 
Yeah. He says, you know, in the new humanity, it should never function that way. We should not be takers. We should be givers. We should be individuals that say, you know, I work in such a way that I can provide for my own and turn around and have others that I might reach out and help others. It's all about reaching out. and That's totally different than the world system around us, folks. Think about your own marriage. Your own marriage can never go forward until you take that spirit, the spirit of giving, into your marriage. Somebody has done, done a kind of a comparison. His name is Bettler several years ago. I found me quite helpful. He talked about five stages that you see in marriages. He talked about, and with each one, he linked it up with an ice cream flavor. Did you ever hear this? It's really quite helpful. Yeah. So, so, so he, he, he talks about the first stage is the stage of romance. You know, when couples, they're engaged, they're not married. And, and they tend to be somewhat naive if they're not very careful. And what they say is, I will meet your need and you will meet no mine. You know, it's just, you know, it's just so obvious. It's the way it's going to kind of work out, right? Romance. And the fruit flavor he gave for that was fruity tootie. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit, you know, a little bit naive. The next stage is the stage of conflict. And in this stage, <laughs> they're three, four months into their marriage and they're saying, it's not quite working out the way I thought it was going to work. And so the conflict says, you won't meet my needs, I won't meet yours either. Right? Conflict. Ice cream flavor? Rocky Road. You got it. <laughs> Next step. The step of what he calls contract. Contract. Because, you know, this couple, they're just banging heads all the time and thinking, we're either going to have to jettison this relationship or do something. So they come up with a contract. And here's what the contract says. If you meet my needs, I will meet your needs. And the ice cream flavor for that, Neapolitan. You know, they're very separate. Everybody does their own deal, okay? okay. And Bettler goes on to say, many marriages never go beyond that. And they go back and forth between contract and conflict. Contract and conflict. And then sometimes divorce. And he says, at some point, what a Christian marriage has to do, it has to break out of that into a fourth stage. And it's the stage of mission. The stage of giving. And this, this one says, I will meet your needs regardless of whether you meet mine. At some point, at some point you've got to say, look, if I'm going to be in this thing for, for God and not for me, then I'm willing to give even if I don't get back. Now look, nobody likes that. If you like that, come talk to me because you're very unusual. <laughs> Am I right? You know, I love to be in a wonderful setting where my wife loves me all the time and my kids are always nice and always listen. I love that. I love, I could take it till the day I die. doesn't work that way. And at some point, you've got to take that next step where you find somebody in mission that says, you know what, I'm going to stay the course and do what's right here, as hard as it is. And the ice cream flavor for that is vanilla because you're going it alone. When two people have the attitude of mission, 
they're able to move to that last step, which is the step of intimacy, which is what everybody craves when they go into marriage. We just want to be intimate, you know? But intimacy is not something you can just produce. It's a byproduct, isn't it? It's a byproduct of two individuals who have made a commitment to mission. And intimacy says, because two people are constantly giving to each other without demanding something in return. They move to that last step of intimacy. And intimacy says this, because you've built a track record of giving to each other, not demanding. Intimacy says, I will continue to meet your needs with the abiding trust that you will meet mine. But I'm not demanding it anymore. But you know what's happened? I've seen her or him, if you're a woman, continue to do the right thing and you begin to experience that. Ice cream flavor? Creamsicle. Somebody has said peaches and cream is one of the ones that I had heard for that, but whatever. But, but isn't the body of Christ the same way? At some point, we've got to get to the point in, our, in, in the body of Christ where we say, you know what? I am going to give. I'm not going to take. And if you don't give it back, I won't like that, but it's okay. Because there's something bigger. It's God and his glory. that I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to just keep giving. Man, alive. When the body of Christ functions like that, God does incredible things. Notice, um, notice then next uh, verse 29 and 30, because I know our time is going quickly here. Um, 29 and 30, let me read that. A couple quick comments. Um, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know what he says? He says, you know what? When you speak, I want you to speak words of grace. Constructive words of grace. Why am I tempted to allow unwholesome words to come out of my mouth? Because I don't like some situation or what you've done in the situation. That's why. And this passage says, you know what? When you find yourself in a setting with another body, with another believer in the body of Christ, who maybe has annoyed you, rather than looking at your discussion as a conflict time in which maybe you want to win the argument, why don't you instead look at it like this? That God in his grace has placed you right there next to this person that you might be his conduit through which he expresses his grace to them in their time of need. I don't know about you, but when I'm in an argument, I don't think like that. <laughs> is that your first response? No, my first response is, how do I win this thing? Or get out of it really quick. But this text says, that's the response of the old humanity. Man, that's what the world does. You're new. I've given you of my spirit. Come into those situations. And as hard as they are, I mean, you might have to tell somebody, I got a minute to pray. Can you let me pray for a second? Because I'm not thinking right right now, and I know it. Fair enough. But God puts us there that we might be his conduit to which we can reach out to that person with whom we may disagree and express his love. 
and be his conduit of grace because God says, I want to minister to them and I want to use you to minister to them. Wow. That's awesome. And virtually impossible apart from his enabling grace. Isn't it? But that is what God wants to do in our midst if we'll let him. So words that are constructive. Another uh, little quip here. The guy didn't do a real good job on that. I'm giving you all bad examples, but here it is. Um, the woman's husband had been slipping in and out of a coma for several months. Yet she had stayed at his bedside every single moment. One day when he came to, he motioned for her to come nearer. She sat by him. He whispered eyes full of tears. You know what, honey? You've been with me all through the bad times. When I got fired, you were there to support me. When my business failed, you were there. When I got shot, you were by my side. When we lost the house, you stayed right there beside me. When my, heart, when my health started failing, you were still by my side. You know what, honey? What, dear, she said gently. I think you're bad luck. <laughs> it's awful. That's bad. That is not constructive. That's not good. That's bad, okay? But jokes aren't funny if they're the good responses, are they? Anyway, that's so I, I, um, I mean, just careless words on his part. God wants us to be different, doesn't he? Lastly, look, um, oh, oh, incidentally, did, did you notice the connection to verse 30? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's very important. Now think about this. When I'm with you, and God's placed me there to be his medium through which he expresses his grace to you. And I don't take the opportunity. Who do I hurt at the end of the day? I hurt God. He says, when you don't do that, Doug, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, God is here. The Spirit is acting. He's prompting. And if I say no, I hurt him as well as everybody else involved in the scenario. You see, you can't lose the God-connectedness with any of this text. It's there all the way through. Very quickly, look at verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why would anybody respond in bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, or slander? Why? You know why? Because somebody has done something that ticks us off. You know what Paul is telling us? Paul is a realist. Paul doesn't step on the scene and say, you know, when you bring people together, the body of Christ, everybody's going to be just naturally lovey-dovey with each other. It's going to be just a wonderful time. Paul's a realist. He says, you're going to get together. People are going to make you so mad, you're going to want to slander them. They're going to make you so mad, you want to be guilty of either wrath or anger or malice or all kinds of things. Look, Paul says, look, that's life. It's life and it's life in the body too. Do you ever have somebody come up to you and say, I, I don't have anything to do with the church because the church is filled with hypocrites. And, and, and when a lost person tells me that, I think to myself, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> Isn't it true? As if they're not a hypocrite. As if they would be, you know, a cut above. No, no. God knows we're flawed, folks. Expect problems. That's not the issue. We're going to have them. Expect them in your home. It's, 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 it's going to happen. 
It's not the issue. The issue is how will we respond to it? So Paul says, when those situations happen that make you want to just lash out and attack, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't do it. But instead, do this. Look at verse 32. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgive each other. Why? Like, why? Uh, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. See, this text doesn't allow us to get away from God at all, does it? Everything I'm doing in my relationship with you and you're doing in your relationship with me, it's all about God. God says, when you don't function like this, you hurt my spirit. When you function like that, you're giving an occasion for the devil to get a foothold in this body and ruin what I've created. When you do that, you're not being like me. We sang some incredible songs today. A couple of them I hadn't heard before. I really, really like that amazing, great, that's good. It's really good. And, and, and you're hearing those songs, and aren't we overwhelmed with God's grace? And we should be. That this great God who has, doesn't need, he doesn't need Doug Finkbeiner. He doesn't need me at all. He'll blow me away, I'm done. But in the person of his son, he's drawn near. And he wants me. And I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he makes me a child of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Do you understand all that? That's unbelievable. It's, just, it's way over the top when it talks about grace. And you read about his grace and his mercy and everything he lavishes upon us. And he says, I want you to take that. And I want you to give it to one another. Not as an excuse for their sin because we have to speak the truth in love. And when you're angered over something, you need to express it. Of course, he's, Paul's a realist. You express it, of course. But you always do it out of spirit of humility and love that says, oh, that I can extend to you what he has extended to me. When we function like that, the world will have no answer but to fall down and worship the one we worship. Because it's his work in our hearts if we'll let him do that work. Father.